So if you've been at Servants for any amount of time, you know that one of the things that we talk about a lot is being disciples who make disciples. That that isn't a program to us. Discipleship, being Jesus followers, is not a program for us. It's not something that we want to say, okay, you've been through now this series, now you know how to be a disciple. It's an ongoing process that every one of us is meant to be involved in. So even for you who don't yet know the Lord personally, maybe you're still wrestling with who Jesus is, you're still in the process of discipleship. God wants to teach you something. He wants you to learn something. And not just from us who are preaching from the pulpit. God calls us to learn from one another. There are 31 one another distinct, one another commands in the New Testament. Things like love one another, or pray for one another, or teach one another. Things like serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. And so God intends us not to be just a church to be a place that you go to, but a people that we are. We're a people who are committed to help one another follow Jesus for his glory and for our good. Now, Paul, who's writing this book to this letter to the Ephesians, Paul was a man who... When he first heard of Christianity, Paul saw this as actually a threat to faith in God. Yeah, you heard me right. Paul saw Christianity as a threat to faith in God. Because Paul had a certain religion. He was a committed Jew. He was a man who believed the Old Testament scriptures. He was a man who... From the outside, at least, he kept the law perfectly, God's law perfectly. He was someone who would have been seen as righteous by other religious people. He was a scholar. He was a zealot. He was somebody committed to what he believed was true faith in God. And so when these who people who follow Jesus come on the scene, and they're saying the only way we can be right with God is to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, what a second, you're threatening my religion. And so he persecuted Christians. You can read his story. He tells, we can read his story in Acts chapter 9, and then Paul retells it later on in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. But you can, you can see the story of this guy who was called Saul, who became to be known as Paul, was someone who hated Christianity, hated what the gospel represented, hated the name of Jesus, became the most committed Jesus follower that we have really in the pages of the scripture. And what happened to him is after he became a Jesus follower, he did what all disciples do. They go out and try to make other disciples. And one of the places he went to was this place called Ephesus, which is uh, in, it was Asia Minor, modern, it would be modern day Turkey, right on the coast of the uh, Aegean sea, uh, sea. And he went to this place and he, he preached the gospel. He went one time, not much happened. He went back again a couple of years later and a radical thing happened. He saw many people who were not Jews become Christians. He, he, Paul went into the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship. He talked about Jesus being the Jewish Messiah, God's chosen king, who they were waiting for. And a lot of the Jews felt the way Paul used to feel. They felt like, God, oh, this is rubbish. I don't want to believe this. And so he, they basically chased him out. But Paul pressed on and spent two years, we'll read about it in a minute, he spent two years preaching the gospel, teaching the scriptures, teaching people about Jesus, making disciples who in turn made disciples. 
Now, years after this, Paul goes to prison. And when he goes to prison, he writes four letters. And one of those letters, probably the first letter he wrote, was this letter to the church in Ephesus, letter to the Ephesians. Now, just to be up front, there is some debate about whether or not this was written to the church in Ephesus directly. Partly because Paul doesn't say a lot of personal things about the people in Ephesus. And Paul knew the people really well. So people thought, well, did he really write to Ephesians? What we probably, is, is probably most likely that happened is he wrote a letter that was meant to be circulated around all of Asia Minor, starting with Ephesus. That's probably what happened. And so he writes this letter, and he's not writing so much of a personal letter or a letter that he's correcting them for bad behavior or bad doctrine. In a real sense, he's writing a manifesto. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. This is what it means to be a part of this new humanity that God is forming through his son. And he he lays this out. Now, Paul does in the beginning of Ephesians what he does in all his letters. He introduces himself. He calls himself this, notice, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle. Now, an apostle was, literally means a sent one. And Jesus, you might know, chose 12 apostles. And in choosing these 12 apostles, he sent them out. He sent them out to do his work, to make disciples who could make disciples. Now, but these were men specifically who, were, who saw Jesus resurrected, who, who were men who could testify that Jesus was who he said he was, and had a certain authority that other people don't have. They had the authority to speak for Jesus. They were very specifically able to speak as his authoritative representatives. All right? So when Jesus says, or when Paul says, identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus, he's saying, I'm coming as an authoritative um, representative. In fact, he kind of underscores that by saying, by the will of God. He's saying, this is what God wanted to happen. Now, this is important. It's important because Paul wants the people who are reading this letter, and that includes me and you, to understand that Paul is writing as God's delegated authority. So so you might think, gosh, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would just make it clear what he wants. Maybe some of you who are still kind of wondering about this Jesus stuff, you think, gosh, I wish God would just make it clear. Well, he has. According to the scripture, he's made it clear he's chosen people to represent him. First himself, he came as a man, Jesus. Then he sent out these authoritative representatives, these apostles, who would preach and write in his authority. And what that means is when we read the scriptures, we can know we are hearing the will of God. We are hearing what God wants. What he wants for us, what he wants from us. Now, this is important because nobody who believes in Jesus believes in Jesus separate from what God has spoken through his apostles. Nobody. In fact, we all believe, those of us who believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus because Jesus did send these guys. Remember when we studied a few weeks back in John chapter 17, what Jesus had said, what Jesus had prayed? Jesus prays to the Father, says, I do not pray for these 11 apostles alone, notice, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. According to Jesus, people are going to believe because they hear what the apostles wrote or said, and they believe it. They believe in Jesus because of what the apostles said. 
This is important. It's important because if you're wanting to know, okay, I want to trust this Jesus. I want to know God better, but I just, I wish something would happen to me so that I could do that. Well, here's what needs to happen to you. You need to hear God speak. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God, the scripture says. You need to hear God speak. You know how you're going to hear God speak? When you read God's word. This is why we study the scriptures the way we do. We want you to hear what God says. Paul's saying, look, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking as what God says. Now, speaking of Paul and his ministry to the church in Ephesus, listen to this. This is from Acts chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, But some Jews, uh, these are Jews of those that Paul was preaching in the synagogues, some Jews of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, he took the disciples with them, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's just a rented facility. And this went on for two years, so that, notice, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Do you see what's happening there? Paul goes into the synagogue, kind of similar to coming to church, and he preaches to people who are supposed to believe in God and says, this is the God you're supposed to believe in. His name is Jesus, okay? But the Jews, of course, as I said earlier, they rejected that. They mostly pushed him away. So what does he do? He goes out and he meets with anybody who will listen and tells them about Jesus. Guess what those people do? They go out and they tell other people about Jesus. And guess what those people do? They go out and they tell other people about Jesus. And what's amazing is, even though not everybody in Asia believed, of course, by the time Paul had spent just two years in Ephesus, all of Asia Minor Minor, had heard of Jesus. Think about that. And this is a pattern that we need to understand. This is the normal Christianity of the Bible. Somebody meets Jesus. They know who he is. They put their faith in him. They begin to to walk with him, have a relationship with him. And guess what they do? They tell other people. Not in an event, but through everyday relationships. As they're at work, with their neighbors, with co-workers, with friends and family. They know Jesus. And because they know Jesus, they want other people to know, not just about Jesus, but actually to know Jesus. And so Paul, Paul he, he's, he's wanting his readers to understand that he's, he wrote this as God's delegated authority. And in fact, this is important to understand because Paul's not writing this saying, hey, listen to me. You've got to listen to what I say. Paul's saying, you need to listen to God. Here's what God says. In fact, listen to this. This is Paul writing to a church, the churches in Galatia. But same kind of impact. Paul says this, really important. He says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us apostles, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Do you understand what Paul means when he says that? He means, listen, it's the gospel he preaches that's the authority, not just the person. See, when we stand up here, when me or Adam or Joe, when we stand up here and we preach the Bible to you, we teach you the scriptures, it's not us who has this great authority. My pastoral authority begins and ends with this book. But what I want to do is tell you, this is what this book says. This is what God says to the authors of this book. This is what God wants you to understand his will is for your life. He wants you to know these things. Again, Paul wrote in God's delegated authority so that we can know what God wants for us and from us when we read this book. 
Now, at this point, you guys who have been at Servants for a while, you're going, okay, John, we know this. We, this is why we came to Servants, because we appreciate the, how you guys teach us the Bible, and you, you, you think the Bible's important. We think you do that pretty good. So this is why we're here. But here's what can happen, especially in a church like ours. We can think that we're actually listening to, we can, we can mistake listening to good preaching we can substitute that for listening to God. In other words, we should be hearing from God. God, what do you want to say to me today? What is it that you want to speak to me today? And we think, no, oh, I hope it's a good sermon. hope John's funny today. I brought a friend. I hope he's funny. It's not always funny, you know. I hope he doesn't go too long. Instead, what we should be doing is saying, God, would you speak through that knucklehead? <laughs> would you say what needs to be said? Would we hear from you so that we got the book open and we got our nose in it because we want to hear what God has to say. Paul wrote with that intention. He would write these letters and the other apostles would do the same. They would write a letter and that letter would be publicly read over and over and over again. A few years back, um, I, I should know the, the exact year, but I don't. It was the uh, anniversary uh, for the uh, King James Bible. I can't remember how many years ago that was, but uh, it was a main anniversary, and um, I think it was 500 years. And so they had at the forum in, in Norwich, they were reading through, I think, the, the whole of the, new King, uh, the old King James Bible. They, they read through it publicly. They had somebody at different times reading through the, everything, verse by verse, the whole thing, which I thought was an amazing thing to do. And I, and I wonder, I wonder how many people walked by and, and sort of bristled because they heard something they didn't like. Or, 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 or walked by and thought, wow, that, that kind of just nagged on them, something they heard. Now, now becoming, becoming a Christian is, is much more about just hearing information, absolutely. But there's still something about what God says that changes people. When God speaks, things change. Reality changes. God speaks and the dead come back to life. So we need to be the kind of people, if we call ourselves Jesus followers, we should be the kind of people who say, okay, we expect God to speak when his book is opened. If it's his book that's being actually taught, we expect God to speak. Let's make 2018 the year that Servants Church isn't known for, oh, they have pretty good Bible teaching, but Servants Church is known as a group of people that are hungry to hear from God and expect to hear from God every time they come together. And not just through the pulpit. We're going to read later on in Ephesians 4 how the whole purpose of this pulpit ministry is to equip all of us for the work of the ministry. That we be able to speak truth to one another. So Paul writes in God's delegated authority, and he wants these guys to understand this. A couple of other quick practical things before I move on. Um, I, I want to. I, I don't know if it, how many of you guys have a, a Bible reading plan, but if you don't already have kind of an intentional Bible reading plan where you're reading Scripture on a, in a systematic way, I really want to challenge you to have that for 2018. If you don't have your own plan, uh, Servants Church has a Bible reading plan. It basically takes three years to get through the, the Old Testament, and we go through the New Testament every year. This year, we are starting in uh, 
Joshua and going through Song of Songs for the Old Testament. And then, of course, going through the New Testament as well. Uh, going through all the Psalms kind of on a more of like a daily basis or four times a, a, a week. And yeah, you have to get, get the plan and check it out. But one of the things that we've done this year on purpose is we've, we've assigned no specific text necessarily for Saturdays and Sundays. And, and one of the reasons is this, is we really want to encourage you to read whatever text we're going to be studying on Sunday. I mean, seriously, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, to shame any of you here, I promise. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or shame anybody. But I wonder how many of us actually prepare for church. I mean, to be honest, sometimes it's hard to get you guys to prepare for the service you're going to do in church, whether it's Sunday school or whatever. But if you don't have anything going on, do you actually prepare? Or do you go, oh, great, I can just sleep in a little longer. And, oh, I can stay up late tonight and watch another movie. And, do you actually prepare to come and hear from God? Reading, maybe reading the text we're going to look at in Ephesians, saying, God, I think it's going to mean this. I'm not sure, but would you speak to me now? And would you speak to me then? And would you speak through me as well? That we would prepare to hear from God. Do we believe that this book is God's word? If we do, then let's prepare to hear from God. Now Paul identifies himself, but then he says, here's who he's writing to. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul doesn't just write in God as, as God's delegated authority. Paul also writes to God's new covenant people. New covenant people. Now, what's a covenant? A covenant is like a contract made in love. So this is why you, you might know that the Bible is Old Testament, New Testament. Well, that's really just another way of saying old covenant, new covenant. And a covenant is a contract of love. The old covenant, which is often referred to as the law, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. The old covenant was a good covenant, it was a covenant that, that exposed or the, the, the God's people to the goodness of God, how good and right and just God was. It was a good covenant that allowed them to know who God was and to relate to God through the sacrifices. They could, they could know that their sins were covered through the sacrifices. So the covenant was good, but here's the problem. Because we're not, the covenant couldn't be permanent. The old covenant could never make people permanently right with God. It couldn't. Even the high priests, even the people that were meant to represent God before the people and the people to God, even they couldn't be permanently right with God in the old covenant. But God made this great promise in the old covenant about a new covenant. And so what Ephesians is about is about unpacking this new covenant. And so Paul is writing to people who we would call new covenant people, that they're relating to God not by this old covenant, but by this new covenant. See, the old covenant said do, and it was good things that they were called to do. The old covenant said, here's the covenant, the contract of love, do this and I'll accept you. The problem was we can't do all that we're supposed to do. But you know what the new covenant says? Done. Christ has done the work. He's provided all the, prov the provision he's provided. Trust him and we'll be in right relationship forever. And so this book is written, this letter is written to new covenant people whom Paul calls saints. Now we have in our minds saints like a statue, maybe a, uh, some old picture with a guy who's got some sort of glowing thing behind his head or something. You know, we think of saints as these people that are holier than anybody else. They're, they're kind of the best of the best Christians, you know. They're on the A team or something. But when the 
New Testament talks about saints, it's not talking about a special kind of Christian. It's just talking about Christians. Saint means a set-apart one. That's simply all it means. Now, it's interesting because it's not just being set apart, like for a purpose. But specifically, a saint is someone who is, whom God has set apart as his own. In fact, listen to this. When Jesus is calling the 12 apostles, and we read this in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says, then Jesus appointed 12 that they might, notice, be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. See, see, telling people about Jesus is kind of pointless if you don't really know him yourself. It's not completely pointless. I know lots of people, I don't know lots, but I know, I know some great stories of people who have become Christians hearing the gospel from someone who actually wasn't a Christian. <laughs> so it can't happen. But really, the, the pattern that we see in the New Testament is people, like I said, people come to know Jesus and they want other people to know Jesus, so they tell people about Jesus. But it's not just wanting to know stuff about Jesus. It's knowing him. Jesus called these people to be with him. These men to be with him. Now notice he also says in the last part of verse 1. He doesn't just call them saints. But he also says who are faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, saints are identified, notice, by who they trust. A saint's identified by who they trust. Do you remember in John chapter 20 when um, poor old Doubting Thomas, he gets called Doubting Thomas. He was a good guy, man. But he got called Doubting Thomas, and Thomas doesn't believe actually at this point. He's not, he's not convinced that Jesus is resurrected. He goes, I need to see him for myself. What happens? Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, go ahead, put your, put your fingers in my side. Put your fingers in my, in my hands. See where these wounds were. He says to Thomas, this is in John 20, 27. Then Jesus says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. That word believing is the same word as faithful that we see in this letter to the Ephesians. It has to do with faith in a person. Now that turns into, if we're, if we're trusting Jesus, that turns in us to living a trustworthy life. We begin to be obedient to him as well. But the point is, it's whom we trust more than what our trust looks like. It's who we put our trust in. That's what makes you a saint. Paul's writing to these people, who do you trust? Because this is for you. You know, faithful though also means following Jesus' example of service. When we put our trust in him, he says, come follow me. To follow him means to say, okay, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Jesus, I want to do what you want me to do. Here's the theme verse for our church is Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what it means to follow Jesus. In part, it means to, to be a servant, to put others' needs above your own. Now, this is, again, normal Christianity. So, so I want to encourage you, church, I want to encourage you. Let's make 2018 the year that we commit to serve. 
Let's just be the, the year that we're committed to be intentional about serving one another. Now, obviously, an application that can be what we saw today. We need more people on these teams. That's all there is to it. And the more people that we have, the, the smoother Sunday morning goes, the more relaxed and, and, and enjoying a fellowship we can be. The, the, what, what happens sometimes in churches is that we get so focused on doing ministries so I don't know, maybe so complex or, or in a way that's so, so showy that everyone's just burned out doing all these kind of fancy things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, whole, the old saying, many hands make light work. We're trying to spread out the work that needs to be done just so that we can serve each other. So that, guess what? It's not too much of a burden on everybody. And we all can come together and enjoy what we're meant to enjoy. Enjoy Jesus and enjoy one another. Learn to love Jesus and love one another better. That's what we're trying to do. But I'm not just talking about that. We're not just talking about committing to a church service, serving a church service. I mean, talking about to each other. Do you know why we ask you to fill out an info sheet and send you a directory? So that you can know who else goes to your church. <laughs> so you can call them up and invite them over for dinner. You know what I'd love to see? I would love to see this. I would love to see that on, a, on, a, on most Sunday mornings in 2018, that almost all of us have plans to go home with somebody else for lunch. Do you know why we don't do that? Two reasons. Laziness and pride. And I mean that. It sounds harsh, I know, but it's true. Sometimes it's laziness because we just don't want to make the effort. We're tired. That's what happens to me a lot of times. I'm tired on Sunday. But you know what else? It's pride. Oh, if I invite that person, they're not going to, my house isn't nice enough or clean enough. The food we're going to make isn't good enough. This is what we do. But you know what? Seriously, what would happen to us as a fellowship if we committed to saying, you know what, Lord, who should I invite over just this month. Imagine if each one of us, each family unit here, each household here committed to having one, someone else, another household here to their church, I mean to their house for lunch once a month. What would happen? You know what would happen? Every one of us would have everyone else in their home at least one time every three years. You think we get to know each other better? What is that? It's about committing to say, you know what? Their needs are more important than my needs. I want to serve them out of love and out of wanting a relationship. To be God's covenant people doesn't just mean, okay, now I belong to God. It means because I belong to God, we belong to one another. That's what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about, I don't think it's not on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are members of one another. Do you know what that means? That means you don't just belong to the head who is Jesus, you belong to each other. And that means we are committed to serve each other, to know each other. This is what it means to be part of the people of God. One of the things we're going to see in Ephesians 2, that this means that we do this with people who aren't like us. One of the great things about this new humanity that's being made in Christ is it covers every ethnicity, every social economic aspect of background, all of it. That we're one in Christ. So you don't just invite people over who are in the same stage of life as you or, or have the same kind of education that you have or the same sort of background or the same color skin or speak the same original language. You invite people over who are brothers and sisters in Christ, full stop, just because. Or even just because they're around, even if they're not brothers and sisters in Christ yet. Just because you want to serve the way you've been served by Christ. 
Let's be intentional about this. Let's commit to doing this, to serving one another. Now, Paul says this, is greeting in verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace, the word grace, in the Greek it's charis. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it's like charis. And charis was the way that Greek people greeted each other. They would say charis. And it means like beauty to you or may the gods have favor on you or may, may whatever is good or beautiful, may you experience that. It was the way they greeted each other. We just say hello, but actually they had some substance to their greeting, right? Well, peace, uh, when it was said by a, a, a Jewish person in Hebrew or Aramaic, the word was shalom. It's not shalom here because it's in Greek, but that was the way they would greet each other. A Hebrew greeting would be shalom. And shalom means maybe prosperous or may things be in your life as they ought to be. Again, it was like wishing something good on the other person. That's what you did when you greeted one another. So when Paul says grace and peace, he's being very intentional here. He's saying, I'm given a, a Greek or a Gentile greeting, and I'm given a, a Jewish greeting because I want you to know that you're one. Even though you're different ethnically, you're one in Christ. So I'm greeting you all together. But also, these very common greetings are pregnant. I mean, they're just overflowing with new covenant meaning. Grace is a, is a word that is going to come out and get defined over and over again in the book of Ephesians. Grace is, you've maybe heard it said, getting what you don't deserve. And there's, there's truth to that. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God smiling on us even though we don't deserve it. But grace is also God's divine enabling. So that when God smiles on us, he doesn't go, oh, aren't they cute? I really like them. But he looks at us with love and he begins to work in our lives and change us. He gives us the power to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's grace. In a very real sense, when Paul says grace to you and he greets the Ephesians, he's saying, I'm wishing on you God's unmerited, enabling grace. His favor. I'm I'm wishing on you that God would initiate with you this kind of a relationship and that you would grow in that relationship forever. When he says to them, peace, he's saying, I'm wishing on you a sense of well-being that comes from knowing you're right with God because of Jesus. It's not just a peace from God, but a peace from God that comes from being at peace with God. Not his enemy anymore, but his adopted child. This is what he's, t- he's talking about. Now he says that this grace and peace, he's wishing this grace and peace to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the source of grace and peace is God. In a very real sense, guys, Jesus is the provision for this new covenant. In a minute, we're going to pass out the elements of communion and we're going to remember what the Lord's done for us. But I want you to think about this in a, for just a, a second. The Bible says that we are naturally at enmity with God. Do you know what that means? It means that in our hearts, we have this kind of disdain for God. We want to push God away. And you might think, well, I don't know if that's true, John, because... I don't necessarily feel that way. I'm not sure if what I believe yet, but I don't really necessarily feel that way. Or you might think, well, gosh, I've always believed in Jesus. I don't think that's true. 
But actually, that's what the Bible says about us, that we have this, this broken nature that we kind of push God away, like, get away from me. Just don't, just stop bothering me. This is why we become religious. We become religious because we don't like this idea of a God who calls the shots. So basically, if we can think, okay, fine, give me three or four or ten things to do, I'll do those things, and then, you know what, you'll owe me something, and I won't feel like I'm under your thumb anymore. That's why we become religious. But what the gospel brings, what Jesus brings, is not religion. He brings a peace. He, he says to us, listen, you need to own up that you are my enemy, that you're the one pushing me away. And you need to recognize that I've provided for conditions of peace. I've made a way that we can be reconciled. Because I've died for your unbelief. And I've died for your pushing me away, for your rebellion. I've paid the price through my son on the cross. This is what God says. So that we no longer have to be enemies, but we can be friends. And more than friends, we can be family. This is is the peace that we can have with God. And it's a free gift that we accept by faith. God, I can't make myself right with you. I can't stop feeling this way. I can't stop pushing you away. But I believe that you've chased me down through Jesus. And I believe that that his death pays for my sin and makes me right with you. I can have peace with you through him. Jesus is the source of that peace. Do you know what happens when you believe that? Do you know what happens when you finally say, yes, it's true. I've pushed it out away. I can see why Jesus had to come. I do believe he died for my sins. I do believe he rose from the dead. I have to trust him. You know what happens when you do that? There's a peace that you experience. A sense of well-being that comes from understanding, man, I'm a new person. I have new life, new relationships, New direction, new purpose, new destiny. See, guys, I'm saying all this because the whole book of Ephesians is about this. Paul's writing about this new way for us to be human. Peace, grace, and peace through Jesus. That's how we have this new humanity. The book, uh, the gospel, I'm sorry, the scriptures end in the book of Revelation With these words, it says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true.